This is Matt Hurt at Obsessive Viewer on Twitter, and this is ObsessiveViewer.com's The Obsessive Viewer Podcast. And welcome to The Obsessive Viewer, where a movie and TV podcast that covers a specific topic via genre trope, movie, or show each episode. You can find more of our work at ObsessiveViewer.com, more of our podcasts at ObsessiveViewer.com slash podcasts. You can also like us on Facebook and join the Facebook group at Facebook.com slash The Obsessive Viewer. And you can support us on Patreon at Patreon.com slash Obsessive Viewer at the minimum rate of $1 per month for an exclusive RSS feed with content recorded specifically for Patreon supporters. I'm your host, the aforementioned Matt Hurt, and I'm here with another special edition of the podcast. It is currently April 26th, 2020, and we are at the beginning slash middle of day 39 of the first in Dear God, Hopefully Last ever COVID-19 Film Festival. The COVID-19 Film Festival is basically me chronicling all the movies I watch while working from home and quarantining myself during this uh, global pandemic that we're in the midst of. I'm presenting these podcast episodes as if I were covering a film festival because I'm me. Um, I'm going to have special days that are programmed by the other hosts and they may Skype in to record. Um... Yeah, so uh, having said that, I'm actually going to uh, start moving away from the programmed days because uh, stress. I don't want to have just programmed days. Uh, I just want to watch stuff and talk about it. So uh, this is a special kind of themed episode in that it is chronicling days 20 to day 38 of uh, the quarantine and, and, uh, everything. So, uh, this is actually going to be a sci-fi showcase. So it's maybe probably one of the last, like, themed episodes, and then I might just do general potpourri going forward, but we'll see. Um, yeah, so this is, uh, The Obsessive Viewer, and as I have been doing in these episodes, I'm gonna run down some quick COVID-19 stats, I guess. Uh, I believe, if my notes are correct, the last time that I ran down the stats was, uh, reflecting April 2nd, 2020. Um, I live in the state of Indiana, so the state of Indiana on April 2nd, which was 14 days ago? Is that right? Did I just do math right? No, it was 20. 22 days ago. Uh, <laughs> uh, 24 days ago. Okay, I did not just pause this recording to ask my Amazon Echo how many days it's been since April 2nd. Um, okay, anyway, so yeah, 20, how many did I say? 24 days ago. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, and then I'm going to go into this serious fucking data. Wow. Uh, anyway, so April 2nd was 24 days ago. As of April 2nd, the state of Indiana, one of 50 states in the United States, uh, had 3,039 positive cases of COVID-19, uh, 78 confirmed deaths from COVID-19, and a total number of 16,285 people that were tested for COVID-19. Um, that was 24 days ago. Um, as of a couple of days ago, April 24th is when I have the data in front of me, um, the total number of positive cases in the state of Indiana, one of 50 states in the United States, was 13,680. So that's over, I mean, that's 10,600 more. Um, 
741 deaths, which is a jump from 78 deaths on April 2nd, and a total of 75,553 total tested. That's of April 24th. Um, a friend of the show and uh, host of... The secular perspective, Chad actually got uh, tested for because he he was uh, feeling ill and everything, and he got tested for it. Said it was one of the worst experiences, uh, and I've seen just <sighs> pictures of of how they test it. They go in through the nose, and like it, I've heard it described as like it feels like they're scraping your brain, and just yeah. So stay inside so you don't have to get tested. Um, and so, as of April 24th, the entire United States, I just want to kind of start doing these stats here uh, real quick. Uh, April 24th, 2020, uh, 865,585 positive cases of COVID-19 in the United States as a, as a whole country, and 48,816 deaths. And that has already, obviously, gone up um, in the last couple of days. So we've broken 50,000 deaths of COVID-19. Um, okay, so... <clears throat> So yeah, that's the, those are the stats. A couple of news items related to COVID-19, and I promise I'll get into the actual podcast and actual content that you guys actually subscribe for and, uh, and listen to as an escape from all of this nonsense and, and craziness. Um, I just want to point out a few things. Uh, like my notes, I have links to YouTube videos. I'll put the links in the show notes and everything. Um, I'm recording this April 26th and, uh, like a couple of days ago, on Thursday, uh, Saturday, so Thursday, that was April 24th. Um, this may have been Wednesday or Thursday, I'm not sure, but a link in the show notes. Uh, the mayor of Las Vegas, <laughs> the, uh, clip went viral of her being interviewed by Anderson Cooper, and she is a fucking idiot. Uh, she offered to make Las Vegas a, uh, control group for reopening and everything, and then, uh, in the, like, I, I, I'm so happy with the way Anderson Cooper handled the, handled the interview because it's just like, it's, it's nonsense. Like he says like, well, you, uh, like he asks her, would she really put him, put them up as a, as a control group? And then she says, I didn't say that. I said, I, I offered to put them up, but then the statisticians told me not to, because we have other people coming in from other cities for it. And I'm like that, like just listening to that, it, it's, it's ridiculous. It's, it's, it's insane. The level of stupidity. Um, yeah. So anyway, that, that was aggravating. And then she wrote this or issued this statement, uh, a day or so later, uh, where she kind of doubled down on it saying that, like, you know, we, uh, the city of Las Vegas has, uh, is built upon the hospitality industry and, uh, we won't survive if we can't reopen and everything. And it's like, okay, yes, economic hardships. Yeah, I understand that. It's ever like it's it's really an unprecedented time, but it's also, mm, it, it, yeah, it's it's dangerous. It is. It, it would be directly like it, it, prematurely reopening like businesses and everything will cause an uptick in cases and deaths like it is it is could not be more simple than that anyway link in the show notes vegas mayor is a fucking idiot uh next piece of news is that trump is a fucking idiot um he said and this went viral uh from uh, he basically yeah the actual i'm just gonna play a clip um here's a clip from from what he said in the press briefing 
And I'm just going to say it without comment. I'm just going to present it without comment. Here you go. Supposing we hit the body with a tremendous, uh, whether it's ultraviolet or just very powerful light. And I think you said that hasn't been checked, but you're going to test it. And then I said, supposing you brought the light inside the body, you can, which you can do either through the skin or uh, in some other way. And I think you said you're going to test that, too. Sounds interesting. Right. And then I see the disinfectant where it knocks it out in a minute, one minute. And is there a way we can do something like that uh, by injection inside or or almost a cleaning? Because you see it gets on the lungs and it does a tremendous number of the lungs. So it'd be interesting to check that so that you're going to have to use medical doctors with. But it sounds it sounds interesting to me. So we'll see. But the whole concept of the light, the way it kills it in one minute, that's uh, that's pretty powerful. Uh, Steve. All right. Trump is a fucking idiot. Moving on. Um, next piece is protesters are fucking idiots. Uh, recently, like in the last week or so, um, reopen the economy protests have been popping up uh, over the country. It happened overnight. And there was an interview or the, there was a... Uh, um, uh, a post on Reddit where someone went through and like in figured out like, okay, well this is all, it's a astroturfing thing, which is a fake, not fake, but it's, it's a, uh, it is a, it's an orchestrated protest meant to make the appearance of, uh, have the appearance of being a grassroots effort. So that's the reason why like with like by hiding who is actually like orchestrating everything. And like, there's been ties to Betsy DeVos or whatever. Um, but basically what it comes down to is all of the Facebook groups that orchestrated this and all of the URLs that popped up were all traced back to the exact same like IP address and same person that, that did it and everything. So it's presented as this grassroots effort that's trying to drum up like the, you know, general public saying that like, oh, we're ready for it to reopen and everything. Um, and it's just, it's dangerous. It's stupid. It's, it's, it's completely just bonkers insane. Um, but there was one at one of the rallies, I think in Michigan where, uh, Jesus Christ, like it's it, like the guy holding a sign saying COVID-19 is a lie while he is in a complete, like labs, like set up with a mask and, and everything, gloves and everything. It's like, okay, well that, that doesn't compute. Like you're fucking stupid. Anyway. So there was a clip from Fox news of protesters, a couple of protesters talking about how they can't go buy things that they need, or they can't go to the hair salon. And Tim Robinson, um, uh, I've, I think I talked about this in a couple, a couple episodes ago, but, uh, his sketch show on Netflix, I think you should leave is brilliant. Like it is, it is genius. And he took, uh, he took that clip, a very short clip from, uh, from Fox news and he added himself, he added himself to it, uh, to great comedic effect. So I'm going to play that in its entirety here. It's only like 30 seconds. Um, the third voice you're going to hear is, is Tim Robinson mocking the, uh, the protesters that are, um, complete fucking idiots. Um, here you go. Tim Robinson, Fox News. You can't buy paint. You can't buy lawn, you can't buy lawn fertilizer or grass seed or whatever. I mean, come on. All statewide. Really? 
know, it's time for our state to be opened up. We're tired of not being able to buy the things that we need, go to the hairdressers, get our hair done. Now's when I start to buy my Halloween stuff. What am I not supposed to buy my Halloween stuff? Really? Okay, so that, that made me laugh. So anyway, okay, enough COVID-19 stuff. Uh, let's get into the episode. This is a sci-fi showcase of, of stuff that I've watched over the last uh, several days, couple of weeks, uh, 18 days. So uh, the, in the kind of spotlight review at the end of this episode is going to be a conversation that I had with Ben, our contributor and friend of the show and frequent guest, uh, about devs, the sci-fi limited series on FX on Hulu uh, from writer, creator, producer, everything, uh, Alex Garland, one of my favorite filmmakers working today and one of the, like, a great, like, sci-fi um, filmmaker. Uh, but before we get to all that, I'm going to run down a couple of news items here. Um, really, the first, the, the first one I'm going to mention is... Uh, SNL. Uh, they've done SNL at home now. They've done it twice. Uh, I'm recording this Sunday, April 26th. Um, uh, April 26th. So the, I've gotten my days mixed up, honestly. Like I've, I've been sitting here talking for however long this recording has been so far. And, uh, I've been thinking it's Saturday. And yeah, like my Amazon Echo, so, like I asked like what the temperature was a few days or like a, like a week ago because I wanted to know if it was warm enough to go outside to take my trash out, uh, without like a, a, a sweatshirt or anything. So I asked it and then it said like, this was like a Friday or something. And then it said, uh, the current temperature is blah, blah, blah. And then it said, would you like to know the forecast for the weekend? And I was like, no, <laughs> no, I don't because weekends are pointless now. Anyway, it's Sunday, April 26th. And uh, the first piece of news I'm going to bring up is that SNL has had now two specials um, that they have uh, aired. Um, it is SNL at Home. I've only watched the first one, which was a couple of weeks ago, kind of introduced and hosted by Tom Hanks. Um, man, it is so interesting. It is fascinating. Um, it is all it's it's the cast doing segments and bits um, at their home and everything. And it is. It is a fascinating piece of television history. If 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 I could be very uh, super, superlative, if I can lavish superlatives at it, um, it is just very bizarre to watch this thing. And it's available on Hulu now. If you want to check it out, SNL at home. It's just it's so weird, and it is. It, it's it's a good weird. Like it has its highs and lows. It's an it's an SNL episode, but. It's just, it's so, while I was watching, I was, I had this sudden urge to just like try to download as many, like, like uh, somewhat illegally download like these episodes and like things that are, that are cropping up in terms of media that is all happening now during this, just as a time capsule to keep, kind of keep it, um, and everything for when things get back to normal, hopefully, if they do, um, so I say that somewhat facetiously, but, uh, yeah, um, there's a bit of truth to that anyway. Um, yeah, I didn't end up downloading anything, but it is just an interesting piece of, of, uh, of television history currently happening, um, in entertainment history, uh, as is a lot of the like TikToks and stuff. And a, a lot of just the content that's being created in isolation and in quarantine has been very just fascinating to me. 
Um, yeah, so I haven't seen the second episode yet. I do see, I did see that Brad Pitt plays, uh, Dr. Fauci, 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 I can't, screw it. Um, so I thought that was, that was pretty cool. Um, the next thing, uh, next news item is that Parks and Rec has recorded and are, are, that have created a quarantined episode that is a, that is a full episode of Parks and Recreation. Um, I think that that is going to be available April 30th, I think. Um, I'll put a link in the show notes in case I'm, in case I'm wrong on that. But, uh, really that's exciting and, and interesting and cool. I kind of wonder how long it's going to take for that to be if it, and if it ever will be added to Netflix or I guess uh HBO Max when HBO Max comes out which by the way HBO Max is coming out uh May 27th or May 26th I think they announced their lineup and everything I'll have more later I think with that on another episode but um HBO Max is going to be a separate streaming streaming platform and everything. My understanding is that if you have HBO Now or HBO Go, you automatically get HBO Max. Um and that and and that comes with the caveat that uh, you will need to have HBO Go or HBO Now directly from HBO. Like, you can't like if you have like HBO as an add-on subscription from Amazon Prime it won't give you HBO Max. That's what the HBO Max website led me to believe on the FAQ section. So I went ahead and I, like I have HBO go through Amazon as a, as an add on channel and I went ahead and canceled that subscription. So, um, yeah. So next month when that subscription runs out, I'm going to re up on HBO go and get HBO Max, which is going to have a ton of stuff. Um, I don't know. We'll see. Maybe I'll put an episode around it. I don't know. Uh, but anyway, I'm curious how they'll implement the uh, special one-off episode that Parks and Rec is doing. I wonder if that'll be included in HBO Max, because I believe Parks and Rec will be available. I don't know if Parks and Rec will be available day one, because I know that The Office will be available in January, uh, because I think of the licensing on Netflix. But I don't know. All that's for for future Matt to to parse out. Uh, last piece of news before I get into my rundown of my science fiction viewing is that I mentioned in, I think I mentioned in a previous episode, because I think a couple episodes ago I completely spaced bringing this up, and then the next episode I think I brought it up. Anyway, uh, South by Southwest 2020. Uh, it's like Amazon Prime has a special deal where April 27th, so that's tomorrow, from April 27th to May 6th, uh, they're going to host the South by Southwest 2020 Film Festival Collection only on Amazon Prime Video. So, I'm going to read from the website. Prime Video presents the South by Southwest 2020 Film Festival Collection. Amazon Prime Video and South by Southwest are joining forces for a one-time online film festival that showcases a collection of films from the 2020 South by Southwest lineup. This exclusive event will be available for streaming for free for 10 days only. So again, that's April 27th, so tomorrow as of this recording, uh, to May 6th. And I'm really, really excited about it because I'm going to... Uh, I'm going... Like, it's... <laughs> <laughs> the coverage that I'm hoping that we do uh, on the podcast will be a film festival within a sham film festival that I'm doing with the COVID-19 film festival. Um, they have a rundown of all of the 
content that they're going to have available. It's 39 different things. Most of them are short films. Uh, there's a few episodic TV shows. Um, and, um, I think six, uh, or seven, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, uh, full length feature films, which I am hoping, and don't hold me to this, I'm really hoping that I can get written reviews of each one of those throughout the week, um, on the website because I love it and it'll be a nice distraction. So, Running down the names of the full-length features that are going to be available on South by Southwest on Amazon Prime. Cat in the Wall, directors Mina Mileva and Vesela Kasokova. Uh, Gunpowder Heart, directed by Camilla Uritia. Um, I'm Gonna Make You Love Me, directed by Karen Bernstein. Uh, Le Choc de Futur. Sorry, <laughs> director Mark Collin. My Darling Vivian, directed by Matt Riddlehoover. Selfie, uh, by directors Mark Fituzzi, Cyril Gelblatt, Vianney Lebeski, Thomas Bidigain, and Tristan Aruit. And the seventh one is TF, TFW No GF, directed by Alex Lee Moyer. So look for, uh, look for written reviews of that on the web, of those movies on the website on obsessiveviewer.com over the next, uh, hopefully 10 days. I'll probably, it'll probably be pushed. But anyway, um, to, it's, uh, anyway, uh, episodic entries in the South by Southwest, um, film festival collection is Cursed Films, showrunner and director Jake, Jake, Chill. Uh, Cursed Films is actually available on Shudder right, right now. It's five episodes documentary about Cursed Films. Um, Motherland, Fort Salem, showrunner Elliot Lawrence. Uh, I don't have any details on that, but, uh, and Tales from the Loop, showrunner Nathaniel Halpern and director Mark Romanek. Uh, Tales from the Loop is actually available on Amazon Prime right now. And it is a, it's an Amazon Prime original. I will probably be covering it on Anthology down the line. Uh, which, by the way, I relaunched Anthology over at AnthologyPod.com. Check it out. My, my, uh, chronicling my experience watching The Twilight Zone as a first time viewer and reviewing classic and contemporary science fiction anthology shows as well. Um, there are a bunch of short films that are going to be on South by Southwest, uh, uh, film festival collection on Amazon Prime. I'm not going to go through each one and everything, but, uh, I do definitely, uh, recommend checking them out and everything. Short films are, are incredible and they're, I, the versatility of having a short film and having them all at our fingertips, uh, for these next 10 days is really cool. Um, I do want to mention there's one titled Call Center Blues that I'm very, uh, eager to see because I used to work in a call center. And, uh, I believe there's a short film called Daddy-O that's directed by Casey Wilson, uh, the actress from, uh, Happy Endings and a bunch of stuff. So yeah, so that is all uh, going to be on South by Southwest Film Festival Collection on Amazon Prime Video. The uh, you won't need a uh, Prime Video account to access it. There for the ten days, it's going to be open to everyone. I don't know if that's only the U.S. or if that's international as well. I want to say that it's almost. Uh, Certainly only the U.S., but uh, hopefully not. Uh, but check that out April 27th through May 6th. And uh, yeah, check that out. Okay. So we've come to my rundown of the stuff that I've watched over the, la- over the last, what, 18 days, I think. Uh, the COVID-19 Film Festival. Um, 
these aren't really in order. Um, I had a whole other plan and then that plan fell through and I had a whole other like concept and everything. Um, I originally wanted to make this kind of just all about Philip K. Dick adaptations that I watched. Um, but then I ran out of time or I, I let time elapse too much. So I watched a bunch of other stuff. So when you hear my conversation with Ben later in this episode, you'll hear me reference it as, as being like, Oh, this is a Philip K. Dick episode or, or, Oh no, I think I say it's an Alex Garland episode i scrapped that idea so past me that's going to be that you're going to be listening to in the future is an idiot um so uh yeah so first up the x-files um last year i started watching the x-files on amazon prime um and then I kind of fell off. I watched most of season one. I think I watched 15 or 16 episodes and I was all for it. I was, I was loving every minute of it. Um, and then I kind of fell, fell off of it. And then I figured, you know what? Hey, I'm home now. It's quarantine. I'm working from home. I'll just, I'll finish up season one. Um, splendid. Um, fantastic. Season one aired from 1993 to 1994. And of course, for who, people who don't understand what X-Files is, uh, plot summary is two agents from vastly different backgrounds join forces to solve cases the FBI has labeled X-Files. Um, man, I love this show. It is, it's interesting because my relationship to science fiction in general, it has been, not rocky or anything, but it's been a growing kind of phenomenon in my life. Um, I've always had this like, like pull towards science fiction. I've always enjoyed science fiction, but not, I don't think it was until really until I started anthology that I really got deeper into science fiction. And that's, that's something that I, that I love for, for context. Um, (laughs) like, like I consider Mike co-host is on sabbatical from the podcast, Mike to be a, uh, a connoisseur of horror. Um, and he is someone who like, like he's like, he, he, he knows like he's a student of the horror genre. And like my aspirations is to be that deeply involved with science fiction, um, which is probably nonsense for me to say out loud, but that's kind of like a a thing that I have in my head. So anyway, science fiction is great. And X-Files is fantastic. The first season is like it's episodic it has you know like standalone episodes monsters of the week and and stuff like that um i really like the the format because it's almost anthology-esque in its execution um and it is very heavily indebted to uh like it's it's very much it very much pulls from pulls inspiration and everything from shows like the twilight zone and the outer limits which are shows that i'm i'm very like like I've devoted the last several years of my life to very very slowly covering the Twilight Zone as a first time viewer on anthology, and I just love seeing like science fiction in the '90s also like uh, uh, play out in such a such a fun way in such a such an an intriguing way <laughs> like it is like it's genre television in the '90s it's it's so great. Um, the overarching like storylines and stuff worked pretty well. Like I like that the first season doesn't really give much in terms of like uh, mythology and, and uh, mythology building. We get like the little pieces here and there. We get um, uh, Mulder's uh, like backstory. His sister was abducted and everything, and and we get. I, I like that they that Mulder and Scully clash, but it's it's a it's a they 
their rhythm is so good. Like their chemistry is great. And it's like, there's a little bit of like that sexual tension in the show, but it's, it's more about their conflicting ideologies when it comes to the X-Files. And it's just, it's really cool to see play out because it's not played like, it's not played that one is, one is right or the other is wrong. I mean, technically it is very much played that, that, you know, Mulder is right, but it's not played at their expense. It's just like they're developing this, this lore and these characters and these, this backstory slowly throughout the first season. I really appreciate the, the show for that. Um, there's a ton of really cool guest stars and everything that have all, uh, like I'm noticing them <laughs> pop up. Like in one episode, there was, um, Titus Welliver who's on Bosch and was obviously on Lost for the last couple of seasons. Um, really, just, I, I love it so much. The X-Files is great. Um, I was watching it on uh, Amazon Prime last year, but then when I when I decided to pick it back up, Amazon Prime no longer carried it, carried it, but it is available to stream on Hulu, which is where I'm watching it now. Um, yeah, so hopefully it stays on Hulu. Um, I did really, really strongly consider buying it on voodoo um it was only like a hundred bucks for all 11 seasons i think um and i'm like that's i mean that's not a bad deal at all but then uh like it was like one of those late nights where i was like laying in bed and i was just like looking at it and then i messaged my friends and i was like please talk me out of buying the x-files and then one of my friends was like uh oh it's available on hulu i'm like okay fine so anyway that's the x-files season one it's available on hulu uh check it out if you've never seen it if it's one of your blind spots like like mine i highly recommend it um it's very cool especially if you are a fan of like anthology science fiction shows um because it definitely has that going forward and very heavily influenced by uh influence from like twilight zone and and the Outer Limits. So next up on this sci-fi spotlight is Minority Report from 2002. It is available to stream on Netflix as of this recording. Uh, plot summary, courtesy of the Netflix page at least, is in the late 21st century when technology can predict crimes before they're committed, a top pre-crime cop is targeted for a murder charge. So Minority Report is based on a short story, I believe, by... Uh, Philip K. Dick, who I'm a fan of. Like, I have, I've gotten more into Philip K. Dick, uh, over the last couple of years. He had the show, uh, or there was a show based on his work on Amazon Prime called, uh, <laughs> Philip K. Dick's Electric Dreams. Um, only one season. I watched it and I'm, I'm going to eventually review it on Anthology. I promise. But, uh, I enjoyed it quite a bit for what it was. And I've gotten into reading Philip K. Dick. Um, recently and he's like he's so just his his work is really cool like i really like his brand of science fiction it's very much lived in and it's just he creates this world in just so few pages and then explores that world without have without without their necess uh without it being necessary to have any heavy lifting in terms of long passages just of backstory and stuff it's very economized and very uh clever um, yeah, so Minority Report from 2002, directed by Steven Spielberg, starring Tom Cruise, Colin Farrell, Samantha Morton. Um, it's really, it holds up really well, honestly. Like, I watched it, uh, kind of, not necessarily on a whim, because I kind of had this idea that I would spend a day watching Philip K. Dick adaptations, as you'll see as I go on to this episode. But, um, it holds up really well. What I really appreciate about Minority Report is the way that it's a meld between Steven Spielberg's, like, 
whole aesthetic and his whole deal when he deals with science fiction, but it's, it is a meld between that and the, the aesthetic and the world building of Philip K. Dick. And it's, a, it's a unique compromise between, uh, the two creative forces because Steven Spielberg has this kind of, what I'll, I guess I, I it's going to sound diminutive of it, but it's this kind of Amblin-esque kind of, sweet and saccharine kind of kind of uh feel to it like you think of steven spielberg and a lot of times you know some like i mean steven spielberg doing science fiction is like et and and close encounters and everything it's it's very much this uh kind of family-based kind of uh exploration which is it's part and parcel with steven spielberg's work but when he handles a piece of science fiction from like Philip K. Dick that's more mature and more uh, serious in tone and dark in tone. It's this really interesting clash of the two kind of creative forces. So watching Minority Report, it's just really, it's, it's interesting. It's an interesting aesthetic. It has that Steven Spielberg brand, but he also does this like uh, overexposure of the, of the camera lens where it's like the, the, brightness of the of the just lighting is just almost overbearing and it's very grainy also like it, it it's some interesting kind of technical choices by Spielberg um and it kind of just really brings you into this surreal world in this this futuristic world I was kind of all about it I was kind of really digging it when I was rewatching it um and this was the first time I'd watched Minority Report in maybe like 10 years so it, it had been a while and it holds up really well there I had some issues like back in the day um, because it does kind of, I, I don't want to say crap the bed, but it, it does kind of get to a conspiratorial mystery thing um, most of the way through it that kind of seems a little bit, I don't know, padded, I guess. And it's, it's pretty good. It's pretty solid. Um, it holds up well in this context and everything. Um, or in this, in this rewatch of it. Um, yeah. Uh, it holds up well. <laughs> I'll, I'll leave it at that. Um, it is available to stream on Netflix. Um, yeah. Uh, what else? Oh, there was a TV show also for like a season or two. Um, which I've tried. It's not available to stream anywhere or anything. Um, I think it was kind of garbage, um, but I can't uh, commit to that. So next up is another Philip K. Dick adaptation. Uh, next from 20, uh, 2007. Uh, next has... Uh, Nicholas Cage, uh, plot description from, this one is from, uh, Amazon Prime where you can stream it. Las Vegas showroom magician Chris Johnson has a secret. He can see two minutes into the future. Sick of the government and scientific interest in his gift, he lies low in Vegas performing cheap tricks and living off small time gambling winnings. But when a terrorist group threatens to detonate a nuclear device in Los Angeles, government agent Callie Ferris must use all her wits to capture, or all her wiles to capture Chris and convince him to help her stop the cataclysm um so yeah this was in 2007 it has nicholas cage it has jessica biel um <laughs> uh nicholas cage and jessica biel man no chemistry <laughs> like it is it is kind of bizarre how little chemistry they have um on screen but also as the fbi agent as callie ferris is it's been a while was it was it um Oh my God. Uh, uh, Julianne Moore. Yes. Yes. Okay. So anyway, I'm back. So, 
uh, this movie is okay. Um, it also has Peter Falk in a kind of thankless role, but it it's an interesting story. It's an interesting um, movie in that it feels like it is trying to be the science fiction kind of adventure action movie but it is it is so much of its time so it's 2007 that this was released and it feels like it is trying to be like a science fiction uh 24 episode um so like 24 was you know, anti-terrorist and everything uh, the whole thing with los angeles and the nuke and everything in next feels so much like uh, like kind of uh, a 24 kind of aesthetic that i just i i couldn't really get into it um not anything against 24 it was one of my favorite shows when i was uh, like in the in the early 2000s um but this just feels so much like a a cheap kind of rip off of that um the concept of a, of a character being able to see two minutes into the future is interesting. And some of the utilizations of it are pretty, pretty cool. Um, and it offers some pretty cool action and everything. Some interesting, like Mr. X and stuff, but it is, uh, pretty, it's solid. It's, it's solid. Uh, but that kind of, that kind of like anti-terrorist subplot just feels just so tacked on. And so, um, I don't know, just, just really just haphazard and, and awkward. Like it doesn't fit at all. And again, there's like no chemistry between Jessica Biel and, uh, and Nicolas Cage, um, in, in, in the movie. It's, it's, it's pretty bad. It's not as bad as people, people say it is. Like I, I've heard people say that it's, it's not, it's kind of garbage, but it's, it's pretty solid for the most part. Um, Nicolas Cage is fine. And it, he's not like over the top Nicolas Cage by any stretch, um, in it. So it's, it's pretty solid. And that's kind of a brief, uh, review of that. Next up is another Philip K. Dick, uh, adaptation. This one is The Adjustment Bureau from 2011. Uh, plot summary. It, it is available to stream on HBO, by the way. Um, plot summary from HBO is fate takes a hand in the pre-planned lives of a politician and a ballerina in this intriguing tale starring Matt Damon and Emily Blunt. Um, I really liked the adjustment bureau. This was my first time ever seeing it. It is this, it's kind of this really cool exploration of the concept of fate. And, and what's interesting about it is that it takes this, um, this concept of fate and personifies it in this, the adjustment bureau, these fedora wearing, uh, suited people who are kind of behind the scenes and behind the curtains setting up everything. It's like the, it's the personification of fate. Um, and it's really intriguing. Uh, the one thing, and I mentioned this in my letterbox review, the one thing is that, uh, Matt Damon is, his character is, uh, running for Congress or something. And he is, uh, <laughs> He, or Senator, I don't know, but he is portrayed as the bad boy of, of like Congress or whatever. And, uh, and I'm like, I can't buy into that at all. <laughs> I really can't. Um, but it's a cool, it's a cool movie. It is, it is, it's surprisingly good. Um, I bought into the concept. That's another thing that kind of similar to Minority Report is that this, like the Adjustment Bureau is a really cool, uh, depiction of a Philip K. Dick universe. Like, it is so much, like, it gets that Philip K. Dick feel that you, that you get when you, when you read Philip K. Dick sh- uh, short stories or novels. Um, like, that world is 
created in the adjustment bureau very well like it is it is replicated that feeling so well like the aesthetic the general aesthetic of, of philip k dick universe is transformed into a movie very well in the adjustment bureau and i really appreciate it for that um yeah, uh, kind of the, just the idea of fate versus free will, free, <laughs> free will. And, uh, the idea of Matt, Matt Damon having to fight fate in order to keep Emily Blunt in his life is just a really cool, um, concept. And it's explored really well in, uh, the Adjustment Bureau. So, yeah. So that's cool. <laughs> that's the Adjustment Bureau. And I'm kind of, kind of rapid fire these next couple of ones, um, because I've talked about them ad nauseum all over the years on the podcast. So Alex Garland, before he became a director, um, before his first director directorial effort with ex machina, although there were reports that he did like some uncredited directing on dread, but he, my introduction to Alex Garland was in the two Danny Boyle movies, um, 2003's 28 days later and 2007's, Sunshine. Um, these are two of my favorite movies of all time. Uh, 28 Days Later is a uh, plot summary. It is, it is available to stream on Hulu for now. I want to say that it was, it's supposed to leave Hulu on, uh, April 30th, but, um, I can neither confirm nor, nor deny that. Uh, plot summary is a deadly virus transforms humans into bloodthirsty, rage-filled zombies that leave a handful of survivors on the run for their lives. Um, so, 28 Days Later is a movie that's very near and dear to my heart. Um, I saw it in theaters back in 2003 um, when I was, I think, a sophomore or, fr- or sophomore or junior in high school. And, man, I loved it. It, I, it Over the years, I've, I've grown to a, appreciate that it pays heavy homage to, like, George A. Romero's movies and particularly Day of the Dead. Um, but it does so in such a, such a unique way. Like it's, it's filmed in this kind of handy cam, like digital handy cam kind of thing. It's very low budget. Like the scenes of London just abandoned are astonishing. And like rewatching it, I can't believe that they were able to pull that off. Like just the idea of just empty streets, uh, is, is really cool and, and very evocative. And the actual concept of like rage filled zombies, this is the, I believe, origin of the fast zombies or it's mainstream fast zombies. And like over the years, there have been a lot of like back and forth between nerds <laughs> saying that, well, they're not really zombies because they're just filled with rage and it's, it's not zombies. They're not reanimated corpses. It's like, okay, settle down. Um, it's zombies. It, they're zombies. It's a zombie movie. Shut up. So revisiting it now this was the first time i'd seen it in a few years i think but man it it holds up so well it it is it is a great um horror science fiction movie uh it's it's terrifying like the scene where they are uh, uh where they're driving away and they get trapped in the tunnel and they have to fix the tire like that is an adrenaline fueled scene and beforehand it's just it's so cool to see these characters bonding so well like it's um they're having fun they're 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 driving over dead bodies but <laughs> they're having fun and everything before that they were um shopping and everything and just like tender moments like that of these characters bonding and, and becoming a fam- family uh or is just really really uh well done and everything and just the idea of these fast zombies that can infect you with this virus and there's no coming back from it is just really cool. Um, I do, <laughs> do want to mention, 
uh, I was very much into 20 Days Later when I was in high school, and I loved this movie. And going through, like, while I was, like, reading up about 20 Days Later back in the day, um, the original ending that they actually storyboarded, um, I don't know if it was the original ending or just an alternate ending, but they had this idea that they were going to... Uh, <laughs> uh, they were going to do a complete blood transfusion, which is ridiculous. Um, like basically since the virus is in someone's blood, um, they were going to have someone's blood transferred from one person to another and thereby swapping the infection. Um, really out there. I can't believe that they like that, that made it past like the outlining stage, but, uh, just really kind, kind of fun piece of trivia. Sunshine moving on, uh, 2007 sunshine. Honestly, I might like it better than 28 days later. Um, both are five star movies for me. Um, sunshine from 2007. If you don't know plot summary from, uh, this is the voodoo plot summary because it's not available to stream anywhere. In the not-too-distant future, Earth's dying sun spells the end for humanity. In a last-ditch effort to save the planet, a crew of eight men and women ventures into space with a device that could revive the star. However, an accident, a grave mistake, and a distress beacon from a long-lost spaceship throw the crew and its desperate mission into a tailspin. Um, Sunshine. Man, one of my favorite movies of all time. I've bought it countless times for a variety of reasons i bought it for tiny when it first came out i upgraded to blu-ray i rebought the blu-ray because the blu-ray didn't work on the ps3 or i i had a uh, a voucher thing where they sent me a free one um i've bought it on voodoo just so i could have it digitally um such a great movie what i love about it is the way that the crew works together it's very much indebted to like alien which by the way today is april 26th happy alien day um so the what I kind of noticed this time around, uh, aside from just the unbelievably great work that uh, that John Murphy did on the score, uh, John Murphy on the score, the incredible work that John Murphy's score does for the movie is is astonishing. Like, it is one of the best scores I've ever heard in a movie. Um, visually it's it's stunning i mean it's a great space movie danny boyle knows how to direct that uh he creates this believable spaceship environment and the shots from outside icarus and the kind of this the idea of the sun like they're flying into the sun and the light is hitting the shields at the front of the ship and just like there are moments where like the sound design like has this roar to it. That's, it's just, it's so cool. It's such, it's such an incredible movie, but, um, it's funny cause I listened to the commentary years and years ago on the, on the Blu-ray. Um, and I remember Danny Boyle saying that like, there's a reason why only, uh, what there's a reason why so many filmmakers only make one space movie <laughs> because it's incredibly hard for them to make a space movie. And like, this is his one space movie that he did. Um, yeah, I love the cast of characters. We've got Chris, uh, wow, Chris Evans pre Captain America as Mace, and we've got Killian Murphy as Kappa. And I want to single those two out because they've got this, this, uh, this energy to them. And like in the commentary, uh, Danny Boyle references it as kind of an almost homoerotic kind of energy, but they are two sides. They are the like, uh, scientific, like, uh, logic based, thinking in terms of Kappa and we've got Mace as the completely pragmatic kind of extreme person. And like, it's 
they clash and they they have so much there's so much energy in terms of just hum- the human element of it the human decisions that are made um it, they clash so much on that on that front and i love that this movie is very much steeped like many of the many if not all of the kind of misfortunes that happen in in the in the mission in throughout the movie are human error like it is it is it is very much steeped in like a, just a human element of of storytelling for this for this uh, for this crew, and I just I love that. Even down to like, there's a climactic scene where Kappa is walking in a spacesuit, and like he, like it's a time uh, it's a uh, time sensitive thing, and he trips and falls, <laughs> and like it is like the score is like very much heavy in that moment, and it's like this this really just incredible moment where he has to you know he's tripping over himself and he has to get up or else humanity dies it's just it's really i i love that kind of personal touch to it um yeah and uh yeah i've talked about sunshine a lot i did a bonus review of it on anthology on an episode i'll put a link in the show notes and everything um and then i'm gonna move along because kirsten actually wants to record (laughs) remotely so uh we're gonna record an episode about comedy uh after I finish up with this. So I've got two more movies to talk about. First one is Code 8 from 2019 on Netflix. Um, so, and uh, weirdly enough, it, it must have just been added to Netflix, I think, because it's uh, Netflix is doing their top 10 movies now, uh, like top 10 things that are available on uh, Netflix. And as of this recording, it's number six in movies uh, today on Netflix. Code 8 is in a city where superpowered people are ostracized and earnest day laborer considers using his outlawed abilities for money to save his sick mother. Uh, this movie stars Robbie Amell, Stephen Amell, and Sung Kang, and directed by Jeff Chan. It was uh, originally a short film that was crowdfunded into making a feature film. On that front, it is visually really impressive. Like, the visual effects and everything are very, like, clean. It's very, uh, it's visually really interesting and, and, and well done. And I was surprised to find that it was, like, a crowdfunded thing. Um, cause it's, it's really good. It, like, visually, it's really good. The story, however, is just really just not that good to, to be honest. Um, so I really appreciate the idea of superpowered people being, you know, kind of outcast from society and like they're, they have to be registered and everything. It's very much like a, uh, um, the, it's like an allegory for, like it says day laborers, uh, immigrant immigrants who are trying to make a living under the radar because they can't like that, like they're day laborers essentially. Um, so on that front, it, it makes some, I mean, it's a pretty clear cut allegory to that in the movie. But aside from that, it doesn't offer anything like it doesn't have any like real social commentary. It doesn't have any thing to say about that because aside from the superpowered people being kind of outcast and everything and having to use their superpowers for like, crime and stuff as this movie does it's it's bas- it's it's a basic crime story to be honest it is very much like oh this this person is is getting roped into uh performing this heist with his superpowers and stuff and it's i mean it is the most straightforward like 
cliched kind of crime story you can imagine and it's it's a bummer like it's it wasn't that good visually it was cool there were some concepts that were cool these drones fly around and they catch super powered people and they have like these um robotic almost chappy-esque um like drone like uh remote controlled like things that fire and kill uh, they shoot and kill super powered people and everything um but again it's just very much just a standard crime movie um and it's it's not that interesting. Some some of the uh, choreography and the action scenes are pretty cool, but man, I just did not like it like hardly at all. So uh, that's Code Eight. It is available on Netflix. Um, apparently, it's pretty popular on Netflix. I didn't really care for it, but you may like it different. So my final one before I get to the spotlight review of Devs with Ben is Vivarium from 2020. So uh, I rented this on Vudu. Um, it is a new release, uh, Vivarium, uh, the plot summary courtesy of Voodoo is Tom and Gemma are looking for the perfect home when a strange real estate agent takes them to yonder, a mysterious suburban neighborhood of identical houses, Tom and Gemma can't leave quick enough, but when they try to exit the labor, uh, the labyrinth, like labyrinth, 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 like housing development, each road takes them back to where they started. Soon they realize their search for a dream home has plunged them into a terrifying nightmare in this taut thriller filled with white knuckle suspense. Um, so Vivarian stars Emojin Poots and Jesse Eisenberg. And, uh, I don't remember who directed it. I don't have that information in front of me, but it's okay. Um, very much in line with the feel of like a Twilight Zone episode. It, and I was very much interested in that element of it, obviously. Uh, more particularly, I got shades of like Richard Matheson in it. Like it felt like a Richard Matheson thing. Particularly, it reminded me of his story, Button Button, or that was made into the movie The Box with, I think, Cameron Diaz and James Marsden. Um, kind of reminded me of that. Just suburban couple um, with crazy science fiction stuff. Um on that front, the actual concept of the movie is really interesting. Um, it is this dark tale of suburban, suburbia, um, this kind of cautionary tale of like suburban life that is fine. But my problem with it is that it really doesn't dive into the backstory of the characters or their relationship at all. Like they have their at all, really. <laughs> like I just wish that there was more to their characters. Um, but there's not, and it's it's kind of a bummer. Um, as the kind of situation that they that they find themselves in evolves, um, it goes to some very interesting places. I don't think it's a spoiler to say that a baby shows up, and they basically are forced into this role of of having to raise this child that is not a child, but like this weird, like alien esque creature that looks like a child, but has this like. It's a nightmare. It is a nightmare. And like, I was very impressed with the way that that element of the story was depicted because like the kid will scream, um, when it wants something. And it's like, like these characters are thrust into this, like, parenting role that they didn't ask for. And I'm like, I'm, I'm watching. I'm like, this is my night. This is literally my nightmare. Um, but as the movie kind of goes on, there is this, weird disconnect that I felt with the characters actions and their story. So like they kind of divide up like Jesse Eisenberg becomes obsessed with digging a hole in their front yard. Um, and it's like, I, I appreciate that because that's something that he can control. Like he even says like, this is something I can do. Let me do this. Um, but it causes a rift between them that it doesn't really, 
I don't know. It doesn't. It, it, I don't feel like it was demonstrated that well, really. Um, the the rift between them, and that kind of felt a little lacking to me. And then the ending, like when you have a concept that is so out there and strange in in the movie world, like in a science fiction movie, um, like it, it's it's kind of you can make it as interesting as you can. And the end, the concept of it is very interesting. And I was very interested in the, in the way it played out, even though I wasn't really, it wasn't really to my liking, but in the payoff, like at the end, it has to have some kind of payoff. In my opinion, this movie does not pay off that well at all. Um, it is kind of this ambiguous, ambiguous kind of thing. Um, that I, I just kind of left it feeling like, I don't understand what the point was of it. Like, I don't understand what message they were conveying. I don't understand what they were doing aside from being like, well, this is a, this is a nightmare version of suburban life. And I was just like, okay, that's fine. But it's just, I don't know. It didn't, it didn't really work for me. Um, that's Vivarium. I'm probably hopefully going to write a full review on the website. Check it out at obsessiveviewer.com. And that does it for this edition or this section of the podcast. Now I'm going to throw it over to my, uh, conversation with Ben about devs, which is available on FX on Hulu from Alex Garland. Um, so yeah, so I'm just going to just throw it to me in the past who is talking to you in the present. Um, which will also be the past when it's done talking. Okay. Um, <laughs> here's my review of devs, uh, with Ben, frequent guest and friend of the show. Enjoy. All right. <laughs> okay. So I'm here with Ben, uh, a contributor, friend of the show and everything. Uh, Ben, how are you doing under quarantine? Hello. Uh, Am I caller number nine? <laughs> did did I win? Uh, yes, yes, you did. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I'm I'm doing all right, staying sane for the most part. Nice. I see that you are recording, or you're you're skyping in, or Google Hangoutsing in, uh, in your car. <laughs> uh yeah. So I'm I'm in my garage in my wife's car. Hmm. Uh. Only because, like, unless you wanted my kids' opinion uh, on devs and to hear them in the background and also to have this podcast be 14 hours long, this is the only place where I could go and not be interrupted every 30 seconds. So, And also the sound quality is not terrible in here, I guess. Yeah, you're coming through pretty well. Um, I will say that that is a shame because I know that all of our, all of our listeners, the one thing that they love most is when the, the episode lists <laughs> are so long. So that's a shame, but, yeah. Um, uh, yeah. So we're here to talk about devs, which is a, an original limited series on FX on Hulu, which let's, I'll talk about that in a second, but, uh, written, created, directed by Alex Garland, who's done so much stuff i'm gonna kind of pattern around an episode uh about his work and everything so you will have already heard me talk about alex garland but um yeah this was on fx on hulu which is a new thing that i was under the impression that fx on hulu was just them branding fx material on hulu but apparently it's like there are some exclusive stuff for it like devs and like devs is exclusively on FX on Hulu and uh yeah how do you feel about FX on Hulu and and that yeah i 
I still don't totally get it. Um, I mean, I I don't understand what the distinction is. I don't know because I don't have cable, so I don't know if yeah. it's also airing on the TV channel. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I know that it's not like airing live because the new episodes dropped at like midnight or so every week, but um, I don't, I don't know. It's some Disney thing, so... <sighs> Uh, yeah, uh, what I understand of it, and I'll put a link in the show notes that has more information about this than what I'm rattling off off the top of my head, but, uh, my understanding is that FX on Hulu is basically Disney's way of getting more, um, uh, adult stuff on Hulu. It's like their, yeah. their roadmap for Hulu is to have, cause they now own Hulu, like they own everything else. Um, since they own like... Uh, Fox and everything. Um, they're they're putting the back catalog of FX shows on Hulu, which most of them already were on. But the FX on Hulu right. kind of thing is that the original programming that they're going to have is like like Devs is exclusive to FX on Hulu, and apparently it is not airing on like FX. Um, right. So this is their kind of halfway in to like a side streaming service essentially um right so this way they yeah can, and yeah yeah uh fx is always uh it's kind of a step between like basic cable and hbo type of content yeah. so it's it's kind of the shows that that i have seen that are branded as fx on hulu mm-hmm. so far are i would say for the most part uh in line with the regular FX's brand. Yes. I will say that there is, they do have more freedom in terms of adult content. So like they have like swearing and everything. So they're not like Mm -hmm. uh, confined to the um, FCC regulations and stuff. And I think that that's the main kind of thing because this way they can kind of do their, they can do like an HBO or Netflix light type of thing in terms of content with having like that whole thing where it's like oh well you know it's basically this but it's still just you can't like you have to skirt around swear words and stuff (laughs) like sure did you ever watch sons of anarchy no um there was something like probably won't yeah oh i but honestly i i really didn't like the show at all like i i kind of hated sons of anarchy (laughs) um because it was Mm -hmm. kind of it was too much like I, I don't know anyway it it's funny because on FX you can say like they can say the word shit um but they can't say like yeah. fuck or anything so it's so funny cuz if you go and watch like any episode of Sons of Anarchy um it seems like like they lean so hard into saying the word shit that it's like they say it <laughs> at, like times where it's not needed but they need it to have like vulgarity um it's i don't know it's it's really uh, distractingly like awkward. Um, right. Yeah. Which is my rap name, but, um, so, uh, but yeah, but devs is one of the original series that is on FX on Hulu. Like I said, it's directed, written, produced all that, um, by Alex Garland. Alex Garland has had a storied career in science fiction. Uh, he wrote 28 days later in sunshine that Danny Boyle directed both of them. Two of my all-time favorite movies. Uh, he also directed yeah. Ex Machina, um, Annihilation. 
and Annihilation. Um, how do you feel about Alex Garland's yeah. work, and how were you? How did you feel about devs, like in terms of the build-up toward the release and airing of it? Um, I am a big fan of his. Um, I uh, loved Ex Machina. Um, it might have been on my top whatever of the decade, oh, somewhere nice. in there. Um, I think so. And uh, I, wa- I didn't watch Annihilation when it first came out, but I uh, watched it last year, and I, I really enjoyed it, mm-hmm. um, mostly because I had read the book that it's based on and right. didn't really care for the book, and the movie was uh, so much better, uh, a better execution of it. So I was pretty happy with it. Um, I actually just watched for the first time 28 Days Later uh, a couple weeks ago. Oh, interesting. And really enjoyed it. And uh, didn't know when I set set out to watch it that it was uh, an Alex Garland screenplay. So um, now that I do know that, I can kind of see his fingerprints on it. Mm -hmm. Um, Devs, though, I didn't... I'm trying to remember. I think I had just seen a couple things online about uh, that, just that he was involved. I didn't know any specifics about the plot or uh, what was what it was going to be about. Mm-hmm. Um, so I in the dark intentionally uh, before I got into it and. I was pretty happy with it for the most part. Nice. So in the lead up to devs, I'd seen the trailers and everything. I'm going to kill my camera in case the bandwidth and everything is an issue. Um, yeah. Um, so yeah, in the lead up to devs, like mm-hmm. I saw the previews and everything and it was obviously very vague and everything. Um, Alex Garland being, uh, being attached to it was the big selling point for me. Cause I've, I've been following the guy's career since like 2004. Um, and going into devs, I was kind of like a little almost re- uh, reticent over it because I was thinking like, well, I, I kind of want Alex Garland to, to, do movies like i don't want him to i I don't want him to get stuck like doing tv shows like this is when i didn't realize that it was a right a limited series i thought it was going to be like a series like arc mini series arc thing um but yeah overall holy crap i I really enjoyed this um and about halfway through i realized like this is yes like a stepping stone or or, of of sorts like it's him going from movies to just like this is long form storytelling and i just i love it um yeah so so yeah yeah i I really enjoyed it um in non-spoilers how did you feel about the overall plot and everything for those who don't know i'm gonna go ahead and just read a simple plot summary from imdb a computer engineer investigates the secretive development division in her company, which she believes is behind the disappearance of her boyfriend. And, uh, yeah, so how did you feel, Ben, about devs in a broad, non-spoiler breakdown? Um, I really enjoyed it. Um, it was, uh, there were a Um, maybe one or two episodes that I didn't really care for. Mm. Um, But even those one or two episodes, uh, I still found things to enjoy and there was some good character work. 
Um, uh, but yeah, like the, the ending, I, I really enjoyed, I think it really finished strong and it's, uh, one of those shows that like once, once you kind of learn about what, what it's all about and what they're trying to do, um, you, you try and figure out like what, what is the end game going to be here? And I think he really nailed the landing. Um, so I was, I was really happy with it in the end. It made me kind of overlook those weaker moments a little bit more. Um, and the, the story I feel like was very, uh, minimalist and that may, I guess, come off as a backhanded compliment, I think, but, um, but it's, I think it really worked well because there was really maybe a B and A and a B story, but they're kind of, those two stories are really just working in tandem, really. Um, at least that's what I thought about it. Um, I don't know if you would agree or not, but um, I I really enjoyed the, and it's very, it's very like slow paced. It almost kind of reminded me of like a Breaking Bad episode where, uh, you know, they, they try and, get from point A to point B and there might be, you know, a, a hiccup or two along the way. But then um, for the most part, it's really just following this one, one or two plots. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. And as far as the like a, a, uh, a plot and B plot that it follows, we'll talk a little bit more in detail and spoilers, but there's one aspect of it that I feel like wasn't, like wasn't explored like at all really for the majority. Okay. Um, in non-spoiler kind of the backstory of, of the, the Sergei character. Um, like, his oh, yeah. whole uh-huh. thing. like that kind of felt like it felt just a little bit like needless until it was needed. But other than that, right, yeah. I, yeah. Other than that, I do feel like it was, it was pretty well paced. Um, like you said, it's very slow and a very, um, uh, it's, I've seen like Alex Garland's brand of sci-fi has been described as like cerebral sci-fi. And I, I kind of love that um, because yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah. Cause he does such like great work at just depicting like the, the human element of it and like the implication of certain like techno technological achievements within like his, the worlds that he builds, like Ex Machina. Some of my favorite parts of that movie is the way that uh, Oscar Isaac and Donald Gleason just have conversations about science and about the work that they're doing. Um, and the ethics of it, yeah. Exactly, yes. And that is what makes what makes Alex Garland's work stand out so much to me is that it's, it's about it's, – it's, like as a fan of science fiction, like – I love seeing like a, a wide swath of science sci-fi. So like I love seeing like space operas that that show like what where humanity can go and everything. And then like like Star Trek is amazing because it's like oh this like, is yeah like like space operas with lightsabers and <laughs> uh, little talking green men and uh... I I don't. I don't think that exists um, on this on we're on one of many worlds and uh, that does not ex- uh, exist. Um, but, uh, but no, like, like, uh, you know, spacefaring and like, like, like futuristic science fiction, 
like yeah. that's that's great. But like what I love about Alex Garland is that he creates this near future world and populate it, populates it with characters that describe or or they they grapple with like the implications of of what could come next and that's something that i find really refreshing in his brand of science fiction i feel like devs really uh dove into that pretty pretty heavily and i also think it was just freaking gorgeous like um yeah just yeah for sure stunning um i i think uh if i remember right i think the whatever episode that i was on where i talked about the pilot episode i mm-hmm. i may have mentioned that like if you liked ex machina then you'll like this yep. and the more that i watched about the more that i watched devs the more i think that's pretty true mm-hmm. because i they the two are very similar in terms of like the ideas that they are dealing with and uh i mean right down like nick offerman's character is almost like he could almost be related to Oscar Isaac's character in uh, Ex Machina. Yeah. Uh, uh, right down to the beards. Yep. I was just um, going to say, like, they're both although, big scientists. Sadly, we didn't get any scenes of uh, Nick, Nick Offerman, you know, disco dancing or whatever. <laughs> I That's a shame. And did you notice that the uh, – or, or were you aware that um, the woman that plays uh, Lily was, like, one of the – androids in ex machina i did not realize that beforehand but i think i saw like a a meme or a tweet or something that said that and yeah um i'm i'm gonna have to i mean it's it's been a while since i've watched ex machina so i'm gonna have to rewatch it and look out for her um yeah apparently i think i'm i'm verifying that now um yeah she's she's kyoko um uh-huh. And yeah, it just I, it's like she's uh, it's remarkable because like I would have never thought that. And uh, well, we'll talk about that more in spoilers. But another thing that I found really satisfying is this kind of almost connected, not connected universe, but like to your point about how Nick Offerman and Oscar Isaac could be like related in terms of their characters. Um, yeah. I love Alex Garland's like commitment to showing like in each of his, like, like in ex machina annihilation and now in devs, he showcases the kind of, he has this like visual motif. That's like, um, the height of technological, like Marvel and like scientific discovery and everything that is Mm -hmm. engulfed in nature. Like the the house in Ex Machina, the shimmer in Annihilation, and now devs in devs. Like I just yeah. love that as like a visual metaphor. I don't know exactly what point he's trying to make with it, but I just I love that kind of cohesion or that that kind of like yeah. duality to to his like visual style. I think that that's just incredible. Um, yeah, I mean, there's it's like the the age-old struggle i guess of like man versus nature and like in in uh devs like not only is this building the the devs building like in the middle of a forest pretty much uh but like when you when you're walking up to the building there's these uh like halo type things around the trees it's it's just a really cool Mm -hmm. 
element, but it's also, you know, like I said, a kind of like a man trying to control nature kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Plus, like, I, there's, there's the, I'm sure we'll have thoughts on it, but mm-hmm. the, the weird gigantic statue that's like literally rising above the tree lines yes. that you see that's kind of like looking down on them uh that was a cool uh element to it i totally agree and i kind of love that it's from my memory of it like it's not explained it's not like they don't like <laughs> like they don't cause like uh point it out in any way it's just a thing and it's just, it's so, it gives like yeah. so much, like a lived in. And, and like uh, around it, like on the ground level, it's just this kind of like amphitheater kind of yes. thing. So it's almost like there's, there's a huge subtext in the whole thing about like tech and the people that run it thinking of themselves as these like godlike figures. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's almost, it's just another way to incorporate that idea of, these these guys who are like you can picture like Nick Offerman doing some kind of a sermon type speech or yeah. something to all of his employees at mm-hmm. this company. Totally, and there is also to that point also there's a there's a ton of like religious imagery and everything in it that I found really fascinating that we can maybe talk more about in uh, spoilers. But um, mm-hmm. I want to talk a little bit about the character of Lyndon. Um, the child prodigy that's in in devs. Uh, are you aware okay. of who plays Lyndon? No. Okay. Nope. Okay. Did you ever see Bad Times at the El Royale? No. Okay. Well, scratch that then. Um, did you ever see? <laughs> um, I won't. I won't play this game. Uh, the The person who plays Lyndon is Kaylee Spaney. Um, she's an actress. Like it's uh, it's really interesting because they cast an, a, a woman to play this child prodigy, this boy child prodigy. And I found that really interesting. Um, did you hmm. pick up on that at all or were you aware of it at all? Uh, not really. Um, I, I kind of, I mean, they didn't really give him or her, uh, her, I guess, uh, a whole lot of screen time. Um, from what I remember, she was just in the one episode for for the most part, and then she kind of comes back at the end, right? Yes. Uh, okay. The character you're fresher on this than me. Yeah. Uh, the character appears in actually, I think, all eight episodes, unless they didn't. Hmm. Yeah, but I don't know. But I just thought it was interesting, and I was like trying to think. Like I was, I was watching. I was like, is it? That's kind of. I mean that's kind of like that's that's something that's something that I don't really see because it's not like it's not like she's playing like a trans character or anything or yeah or some binary like character exactly. or something. Um, it's just straight up just a gender swap and like I didn't like I'll link to this in the show notes but there's an article where she gives an interview about it and like this just kind of clicked with me immediately. She was like, "Yeah, it's the same principle as like people." Uh, like stage productions casting uh, women to play Peter Pan because, you know, hmm. body type and everything and uh, right. they can play young boys. Um, and I was like, oh, that, that clicks it together for me. But I thought it was really, uh, really unique casting. Um, yeah. Cool performance. Um, let's go into spoilers for devs. Um, 
because we'll otherwise we'll just start dancing around it. Um, and this is an ex machina <laughs> dancing around it. Anyway, um, before we go into spoilers, though, did you ever see Sunshine? Uh, no, I think uh, I think that one might be on one of my lists on I don't know one of my the streaming services I have uh, that I plan on watching. You know. I, however many however much longer this lasts right i highly recommend it it's it's one of my favorite movies just blanket statement one of my favorite movies ever um oh. but one of the coolest things about watching devs having been such a huge fan of sunshine is that the actual like devs lab like that set design is incredibly reminiscent of one of the sets in sunshine um okay and it's just it's just visually it's just it's such a cool thing and i I was i was so happy to see it kind of uh not replicated but kind of reflected in in devs um yeah so yeah i i love the production design in this show just all around totally um especially the the devs facility Mm -hmm. uh i thought that that was really uh i mean you can you can kind of see a place like that really existing in the real world almost you know absolutely oh yeah um all right well let's get into the uh let's get into more detail uh, in our spoiler section so we're going to go into spoilers for devs here's a clip from the trailer when we come back we're going to be spoiling devs uh check the show notes uh or watch the show and then come back and listen to us if you haven't seen it yet so we are going into spoilers for devs this is your station but what am I actually doing here? I'm not going to tell you. Don't worry. You're going to figure it out. The last time I saw him, he was headed toward Devs. And then he disappears. Something bad happened to him. You know what happened to him. If you came for answers... Ask me what you don't know. What is Devs? This is the only principle you need to understand. Nothing ever happens without a reason. Everything was determined by something prior. They're fanatics. We need the police. You want to take them down? It's impossible. You knew I was going to come here. The sense that you were participating in life was only ever an illusion. Life is just something we watch unfold. What's inside? Everything. All right, and spoilers on for devs. So, Ben, the first thing I want to kind of bring up is Sergey. 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 Wow. Yeah. Um, and the whole Russian spy industrial espionage kind of plot line, it, that's the one part of the whole the whole show that I just couldn't really get behind, even though it was the impetus of the main plot. It kind of felt yeah. like it was introduced and then went away completely and then at the end it right. came back. And it just felt a little bit a little bit haphazard and, and sloppy. Did you catch any of that or how did you feel about that whole subplot in, in the, in the, in the show? I didn't really think about it a whole lot. Uh, 
while I was watching, but yeah, I agree a hundred percent. It was almost, uh, it was very like tossed off Mm -hmm. and I don't know if, I guess it's probably, I'm okay with it because, uh, I don't know if we really needed a whole lot of backstory on him or a whole lot of, you know, Nick Offerman versus the Russians, uh, that kind of thing. But, um, yeah, it, it is, it, it kind of was made up to be like it was more of a big deal early on and then just kind of went away. Yeah, absolutely. And I kind of feel like what I felt was missing from it was that it, and maybe it's just my expectations from the outset, but it kind of felt like um, since that is our kind of gateway into the world, really, it kind of felt like mm-hmm. they were setting it up or or I felt like they, they should have, how to phrase it, I feel like they were, by incorporating that from the outset, I feel like they were um, setting up a, a clash, like you said, between Nick Offerman and the Russians. Like, yeah. I mean, like what, what did the Russians want with that technology? Like how, like was it just strictly them wanting to know what Nick Offerman was doing and not having any real sense of what they're doing? I, I kind of maybe would have liked to have seen more of that in terms of yeah. like competition, I guess. Right. But I'm happy with what we got in, uh, uh, yeah. yeah. Cause I think if, if they would have explored more of it, I think they would have either had less time to dedicate to the devs operation and what they're trying to accomplish, or there would have been more episodes and it would have just felt, unnecessary you know and just gone down a completely different path plus uh and maybe this is just me saying this because i've seen the end product already but it i i kind of get the feeling that alex garland isn't terribly interested in that kind of stuff you know yeah i i totally agree and like what we got instead of that is a lot more satisfying a lot more cerebral really um yeah and interesting um it just kind of felt like it was kind of just strange that they introduced it and then did next to nothing with it right Um, but what we got was really fascinating like how did you feel about the whole kind of idea of devs and this whole kind of voyeuristic and and like weird kind of uh quantum mechanics based kind of science fiction element of it yeah, um, I I really liked uh, what it ended up being about. Um, I this may be something that I touched on the last time that I talked about it, but uh, very early on, you you couldn't they didn't really give any ideas about what devs was or what they were trying to do. Just that Sergey was trying to steal it, um, and. I I forget if I had guessed if it was about like cloning or uh, alternate realities or something. I, something like that. Either way, I'm sure I was totally off. Um, <laughs> I want to say, but you I said it was cloning. Go ahead. I, sorry, I, I want to say that you maybe guessed that it was cloning. 
Um, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, that probably sounds familiar. <laughs> I'll have to go back and listen to it. Um, but I liked how they kind of, uh, they kind of revealed it, uh, piece by piece and not all at once. Cause there was, I think initially there was the, the scene where they're like watching Marilyn Monroe have sex. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, after that, they didn't really reveal a whole lot more. Um, but then there's, uh, I think my one of my favorite episodes was I think episode five where uh, it's it's just very simple and it's like there's several scenes where you get the visualization of these alternate realities where uh, there's there's one scene where Nick Offerman is watching his wife and child die in that car crash and just the different outcomes that that come from that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I really liked the visualization of that and how it uh, really helped to explain what it was. You know, I, I loved that. Just in terms of, like you said, the visualization of it was really just cool. Like very simplistic, yeah. but very like direct and didn't feel like it was like uh, it wasn't too showy. I guess. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. And really I mean, they they do it a couple times in that episode, but like. They don't do like that. That car crashing is probably the most showy. Like there was yeah. one where, uh, what was her name? Katie, the blonde. Yeah. Uh, where she's like walking out of uh, university or something, yeah. and uh, Nick Offerman is trying to pursue her for a job. Um, so there's they do that again, and just the different realities there and different outcomes yeah. and. That was, you know, again, just kind of uh, mundane kind of stuff, and it really helped to to show um, how it worked. I I agree, and one of the uh, another instance in, in the finale where they showed that, um, I think it was in the finale. Yeah, um, they showed when Katie was at the at the dam with uh, with Lyndon, and what I found really fascinating about that is. Mm-hmm. That she goes through this whole thing where she's telling him like, you know, um, I've seen this, I've seen this, uh, I've watched this several times. I know exactly what's going to happen and everything. And like, she she goads him into just standing on the edge there. And what I found really cool about that was that every single iteration of that was him falling to his death. (laughs) Um, like there was not one where he's okay. Um, yeah, I just, I thought that that was just really cool. Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, about the actual, like there was maybe this, this is probably, uh, um, thinking this is, this is probably too simplistic, um, and everything, but I did like that kind of at the end where Nick Offerman's like, um, where he's like, you want to know what devs is like it's or like why it's called devs or whatever it's not like he yeah. is actually a you and then it's a dais and it's because he's god or whatever and i was like oh that's so cool because like now alex garland has had dais and ex machina so dais ex machina. <laughs> um, oh man i didn't even put that one together yeah that's that's crazy yeah. <laughs> see yeah that's that's like what i was saying it's like they're they're the same worlds yep yep exactly uh yeah, so what did you think of Lily Chan? 
the main character um, in her journey throughout the uh, throughout the show. Um, she becomes I, kind of an agent of um, not agent of chaos, but like she's like the 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 thing that breaks the system down and everything. So I don't know. How do yeah. you feel about her whole arc throughout the throughout the show? I enjoyed it. Um, she. Uh, I'm trying to think of like another, another movie and another character that you could compare her to, but she's just trying to, uh, I don't know. I, I think starting out and just trying to figure out what happened to her boyfriend, that was a good kind of entry point into figuring out what, what, what all was going down. Um, and then, as the show went on, it felt like it was less about Sergey and mm-hmm. what happened to him. Um, and so I, I really liked, uh, her, her as a character. She's, um, you really, and this is probably at least partially because of the performance of the actress whose name I don't have in front of me. Um, but, she she did a great job of you know making you on her side and mm-hmm. wanting her to figure this out absolutely she was very uh she was a good like audience surrogate um yeah uh audience sergey it <laughs> <laughs> um anyway so she was she was a good audience surrogate and she uh, she was a good character kind to kind of root uh, root for um, yeah. Yeah. And I want to mention, and, Oh God, sorry. Oh, uh, I was just going to say there was, uh, I forget which episode this was, but, um, there was, uh, like whatever episode it was where they had her like committed to the hospital and like yeah. wrongfully arrested, I think it was maybe. Um, but they basically they they tried to make it so that she was insane and yeah. uh, nobody would ever believe her and that was another good way of uh, I, I feel like a lot of shows that would be kind of a stall tactic to pad out the runtime you know yeah but uh, here it felt uh, it felt natural I guess yeah and what i love so much about that specific arc is that the episode beforehand uh i think it was episode four um at the end of that episodes where he where where she escapes from uh kenton's car and then she goes back to jane uh-huh. and she's like we have to call the police she calls the police and like it's built up like this big moment where it's like we're we're gonna do something and then immediately it's like okay the police are here she's in custody she and, and he uh, kenton goes into the apartment and just like shuts the door uh, presuming that that jamie's in danger and like right what i loved about that ending is that it felt like i don't know if this was the intention but the feeling i got watching that ending was that it was the kind of ending that happens like when you're playing a video game and you fail a mission <laughs> and then like everything just stops and like it's, it's right. one of those things where it's like, okay, now game over and everything. I just, I loved that the way that they tied up that episode. 
Um, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And also, so I was, oh, uh, I was going to ask you this, um, cause you binged watch, uh, all of these, mm-hmm. uh, like once the, the whole series came out Yes. and I, I think I watched each episode as it came out. I might've, I mean the last two episodes I watched at once, but, mm-hmm. um, other than that, like, was it, was it more like, uh, did it feel more like a Netflix type series where it flowed from one episode to the next pretty seamlessly? Or uh, how, how did you feel about binging it, I guess? Um, I actually really liked binging it. Um, it did feel very seamless. Uh, like I said, it, it felt like, it, it really felt like um, in eight, an eight episode long movie. Like it felt like Uh Garland was telling his story and it, it, like about maybe five episodes in, I was like, I kind of feel like this is like Alex Garland being like, well, I have this material that I want to make into a movie. I like, by the way, this is not what happened, but just, I get the impression that it felt like the kind of thing where it's like, well, I'll, it'll be too long to make a movie. So let's make it eight episodes. Um, right. Like it had that kind of cohesion throughout, throughout it, um, that made it feel very seamless. It's kind of funny that you, uh, mentioned the, uh, after five episodes, because I think the, the sixth episode I feel like was probably the lowest or the, the one that I liked the least, I think. Um, and that's the one where it's it's kind of a bottle episode from what I remember. Yeah. Uh, where uh, really like the four main characters are all just kind of talking to each other. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it was, it was some good character work. Mm-hmm. Um, I enjoyed that aspect of it, but the plot just kind of stalled a little bit for me. Yeah, that was that was episode five, kind of the entire episode. Oh, okay. Yeah, for the majority of the episode, it's uh, Katie. Katie is watching events unfold in devs, um, and it kind of goes through vignettes. Um, okay. Of each character, I didn't honestly. I didn't have a problem with it really at all. Um, uh huh. But I think yeah. But it, it, the it, the one that I, I don't I I can't remember if this is the same episode that you're referring to, but mm-hmm. uh, it's the one the one that I'm talking about is the one where um, where they're all at I think Nick Offerman's house oh. and uh, he eventually goes outside and like plays frisbee with Jamie. Yeah, uh, yeah. Honestly, <laughs> uh, that that's episode six. Um, okay, and honestly, I I kind of loved it. Um, but I, I totally get, I totally get the idea of it, of it slowing everything down and everything. Yeah. It just felt like, it felt like a pivot in the story. Um, yeah. but I kind of loved it for those character moments. Like just, I, I really appreciated, um, like the scenes between Lily and, and Katie where they're just talking openly about everything. <laughs> and then yeah. same with Jamie and Forrest. It's like, they're just, it's it felt so counterintuitive to what you would expect from a sci-fi oh, yeah. thriller kind of story. Um, I just, I, I found it, I found it really compelling, but I, I can totally get uh, how, how someone would see it kind of slowing things down a bit. Yeah. And I mean, I, maybe it, it would look different to me if I would have 
binged it all, but yeah. um, just having to wait another week to get the plot back going was kind of, uh, again, it's not bad. I mean, I, I still love the series overall, but mm-hmm. uh, kind of slowed things down a little bit there. Yeah, I can 100% understand that. And I, I feel like I'd probably, I probably would be singing a slightly different tune if I had watched it week to week like that. Right. Um, I will say, though, and this is uh, – so while watching that episode specifically, that's where we get the kind of detail about how um, how like every uh, dev's thing that's happened has been predicted, like how, it's, how the tram lines have been perfect, but something happens when uh, Lily goes to dev's in 24 hours that breaks everything down. Like that's a yeah. very compelling thing. And like, it just brings to the forefront this determination. De- uh, oh wow. Um, <laughs> determinism and like yeah. faded kind of thing. Um, and yeah, like- that's, that's really where, especially the, those last two episodes, that's really where it gets like philosophical almost. Yes. Uh, I, I, and I love that part of it. And it made me think, um, like as, as the scenes were unfolding with Katie and Lily and like having that conversation in the house, I kept thinking like, um, like, did, did you ever see the show flash forward or read the book that it was based on? Um, no. Okay. So basically flash forward is based on a, a novel by Robert J. Sawyer. It's, it's okay. It's perfectly okay. Um, uh-huh. the plot of the book is that the world blacks out like every, like every human being blacks out for like 20 seconds and they, while they're blacked out, everyone has a vision of themselves 20 years in the future. Um, and then they wake up and it's just, you know, everyone's grappling with that. Um, and it's a, it's a fascinating premise. Unfortunately it was made into a show in like 2011 that was horrendous like it was just Uh super just shitty but anyway if i if i remember right like that was i feel like one of them that was kind of pitched as like the next lost like once it ended is is that right exactly yep or am i thinking of someone else um it was definitely that um they actually premiered it the the year that lost was ending its run okay um Uh and i think it may have been a lead-in for lost or something or lost may have been its lead-in. i don't know but anyway okay um the show was terrible but i kept thinking like i i read the book late last year and like like i said it's just okay but as that scene was unfolding with lily and katie in the house i was sitting there thinking man i would just like this is like i would love to see alex alex garland take that novel and adapt it and make make it into something just really unique and then almost as soon as i thought that uh they start talking about how like okay well they have a vision of the future and how everything's going to break down and i'm like Oh, he kind of already did because like that's a lot of like that the concepts and philosophy of of devs is what's haphazardly explored in Flash Forward. But um, right, but yeah, but I, I just love that kind of the ideas presented in it and the kind of fanaticism also of Katie and Forrest. Like I could see people having a problem with the ending or, or the. Uh, kind of climax of the of the show in the devs place where she has him at gunpoint and everything because like katie my read of it is katie and forrest are are fanatical about it and it's like you can't right you just simply can't 
change anything that's going to happen. It's a fixed thing. And like when she yeah. does that, when she throws the gun, it's like that's like I, I just found that so fascinating to me on like a philosoph- uh, uh, philosophical level. But I could see people being like, yeah. well, duh, like, <laughs> like, duh. Like, why would she not do that? To prove them wrong, but how yeah, do you about that? yeah, there were there were definitely some vibes of like Minority Report, or yes. uh, I'm sure there's more more things that I could reference, but yeah, just uh, I, I I really enjoyed what it turned out to be, mm-hmm. uh, kind of what the whole series, uh, what its thesis statement, I guess, would be about about like free will and. Mm-hmm. Uh, fate and determinism and uh, and just the way that it wrapped up uh, was really nice. I totally agree. And and on that note, and we can kind of start winding down a little bit too, but um, when the kind of denouement of the show, like the, the devs system afterlife kind of thing that Forrest and lily are in how did you feel about that like how did you feel about that development because that kind of it surprised me and i, I was definitely into mm-hmm. it. it just felt just kind of a, a weird uh, button on the on the season as a whole how did you feel about that i uh i liked it because like the whole uh not necessarily the whole time but once you figure out what like obviously like uh Forrest is trying to, you know, bring his daughter and his wife back to life. And so you're trying to figure out like, how, how is he going to do this with a computer? Yeah. Um, and I feel like that was a, a really nice way of making it happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and one that the way that it was presented, at least it made sense for the show. Um, uh, they didn't like, jump the shark and try to, you know, uh, because mm-hmm. X did this, then now is his daughter is back. Right. And you, I, the, the whole time I was trying to figure out like how, how is he going to actually bring his daughter back? Like in a logistical yeah. sense. Um, cause <laughs> I, I kind of got the vibe of like, he's like, the kingpin from into the spider verse, you know, <laughs> yes. he's, oh my God, yes. he's trying to bring his family back and bring in alternate dimensions in order to make it happen. Wow. Yeah. That, <laughs> holy crap. That is, that is <laughs> the parallels to that are insane. Yeah. Huh? Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so kind of overall thoughts on, on uh on on uh oh my god um devs uh how did you feel about it overall and uh are you looking forward to more stuff from alex garland of course oh yeah definitely um i haven't really seen uh it's i don't think i've been on his imdb page lately so i don't remember if he's got anything else in the works or not um but yeah i'll i'll still see whatever he puts out next 100 percent uh, um, same here. Go ahead. Oh, uh, I was just going to say same here. I don't think he has anything in the works yet, but, um, yeah. from what I read on that interview with, uh, um, with, with, uh, Kaylee Spaney, apparently he has said in interviews somewhere that he wants to do 
something else with this same cast and crew, uh, just something completely unrelated, mm-hmm. but but with that same core cast. And I was like, I'm all for that because I think that they worked really well together. Um, yeah. So hopefully, hopefully they uh, he does do. Uh, and as as much as I like this, I do not want a second season. Oh yeah, same here. Yeah. Uh, I I don't want this to be like a big little lies situation, right? Um, yeah, I I totally agree. Um, I I think we're safe off of that. Uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, just because uh, this was, I mean, something that he I mean he directed and wrote every episode. Like he has complete, from what I can tell, complete creative control over it. And I feel like he probably told the story right. that he wants to tell. Um, he did. <laughs> uh, real, real quick. How did you feel about Nick Offerman's performance? Oh yeah. Um, I think he did a very good job. Like he is someone who, um, you know, he's an actor who he, he, he's versatile in the way that he can be very deadpan and, uh, I, I don't know. I, I liked the, I liked his performance. I'll, I'll put it that yeah. way. Um, it's very, yeah, I, I don't think I had seen him in anything dramatic before. Uh, so I was, I was pretty satisfied. He, he nailed all the dramatic parts. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I'm thinking, especially like, like I said, the, the alternate reality Mm -hmm. episode where you see all the, the different car crashes and his reactions to those were all really great. Totally, totally agree. Um, all right, well, I, I think that should just about do it. Um, any parting thoughts on devs or FX on Hulu or Alex Garland? Um, no, I think that pretty much covers it. Um, um, I will say that Sunshine is not available to stream really anywhere. I just looked it up. Um, okay, but I I still highly recommend it. Uh, it's it's such a good movie. Um, okay, it's great. Um, all right, well I think that should just about do it then. Thank you so much, Ben, for chatting with me about devs and uh, yeah, I hope uh, I hope the car is okay. <laughs> not, uh, yeah, I'll uh, let me just uh, turn the car off here. Uh, hopefully that's not an issue. Uh, yes, the garage door is closed. Dad, I'm I'm so surprised that you're still breathing right now. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about, but yeah. Uh, all right. Well, thank you so much for joining me. And, uh, and yeah, thank you. Uh, like, uh, every, yeah. Um, ho- hope you're staying safe and staying sane and uh, everything. With all yeah, you too. Happiness. Thank you. All right, well, that'll do it for this episode of The Obsessive Viewer. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll be back with another episode at some point soon. But in the meantime, check out uh, Anthology. I'm bringing it back. And uh, Tower Junkies has some new stuff in the pipeline as well. Also, Ben, we, have, we didn't really talk about the stuff that you've uh, been writing recently on the, on the website. Do you want to pitch some of their or, uh, or uh, promote? There is the word. Um, <laughs> promote. Sure. Uh, some of the reviews you've written? Uh, yeah, I mean, I I haven't been writing as much as I would like to. I don't really have much of an excuse for that. <laughs> um, there have been a couple Netflix and Amazon series, mm-hmm. or not series, uh, movies that I have been meaning to watch and review. Um, 
and new releases uh, specifically. Um, but uh, fingers crossed I can get around to that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, you recently did review Trolls World Tour. Yes. And uh, Blow the Man Down. Correct. Uh, that one is on Amazon. Yes. Um, so yeah, so thank you again for, uh, you know, uh, promote or, uh, contributing and everything. It's, it's great to have you aboard. And, uh, I've sure. also been reviewing, uh, Universal Monsters movies and, uh, that's about it, really. <laughs> uh, yeah, so check that out at obsessiveviewer.com. Uh, once again, Ben, thank you so much for joining me. And, uh, to you listeners, stay safe, stay healthy, and thank you so much for listening to the Obsessive Viewer Podcast. The Obsessive Viewer podcast is edited and produced by Matt Hurt and presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. For a full archive of our episodes, go to ObsessiveViewer.com slash OV archive. You can also like our Facebook page and join the OV Facebook group at Facebook.com slash The Obsessive Viewer. And follow us on Twitter at Obsessive Viewer and at Obsessive Tiny. And follow our recurring co-hosts at I am Mike White, that's me, at R.A. Feckus and at Burger underscore Lurker. If you enjoy the show, please take a couple minutes to leave us a rating and a quick review on Apple Podcasts. This is the easiest way to support what we do, and all it costs is a little bit of your time. If you'd like to donate to the podcast, you can make a PayPal donation at obsessiveviewer.com slash donate. Or support us on Patreon for recurring donations and access to commentary tracks and B-roll audio recorded exclusively for patrons at patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer. Every donation goes toward paying the fees to keep the podcast running and is greatly appreciated. For official Obsessive Viewer merch, including shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more, visit our Tee Public store. You can find a link to the store in the show notes of this episode and at obsessiveviewer.com slash donate. Or you can simply search for Obsessive Viewer at tpublic.com, T-E-E, public.com. For information about our annual live event showcasing short horror films from local filmmakers, check out shocktoberinirvington.com. And for an archive of all our events, as well as news about potential future events, head over to obsessiveviewer.com slash live. For more podcast content, you can find Anthology, Matt's solo podcast covering The Twilight Zone, and other classic and contemporary science fiction anthology TV shows at anthologypod.com and on Twitter at OVAnthologyPod. You can also find Tower Junkies, a podcast where Matt and Tiny share their love of all things Stephen King and his magnum opus, The Dark Tower series, at TowerJunkiesPod.com and at TowerJunkiesPod on Twitter. And finally, check out The Secular Perspective, Tiny's side project podcast, which tackles current events and life's big questions from the perspective of secular hosts Chad and Amanda at TheSecularPerspective.com. The theme music for The Obsessive Viewer comes courtesy of the band Loudlike from their EP, Mistakes We Must Make. Additional bumper music is provided courtesy of As Good As It Gets, which can be found at facebook.com slash asgoodasitgetsband. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Kitty!